Well, good morning. I'm excited this morning to go through the third week of our series called Finally Free, where we're talking about different areas where God has set us free. And in particular, areas that we think God is calling us to grow in this season during the pandemic. So first week we talked about fear and our freedom from fear. The second week we talked about pride and how we're free from pride. And this week we're going to talk about how we're set free to love one another. Um, And just like before, I, I hope during these two weeks you've been fasting and praying during the weeks asking the Lord to grow us in the areas of fear and pride. And we're going to do the same this coming week as we look to grow in this area. And so I want to start by reading our passage, which is 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is the word of God. And we're talking about love this week. And, and here's the deal, if, if, you were, uh, if you heard the message from last week, we talked about pride and pride has sort of a, a weird relationship in our culture because in God's eyes, pride is a vice. But in many ways, in our culture's eyes, pride is a virtue. But we don't have that same conflict when it comes to love. This is one everybody seems to agree. Love is good. Love is how we should live. Love is the practice that should dominate how we conduct ourselves in the world. We're all on board with this. We're all on board with love. But we make two assumptions and they're very unwise assumptions. The first assumption is that we assume we know what love is is, we know how to define it, and the second faulty assumption that we make is that we assume we are capable of loving. So so first, let's just ask this question. Do we actually know what love is as a culture? Because you might end up concluding that when many of us talk about love, what what we really are meaning is just tolerance. They love one another. So, you know, if somebody's a different skin color from you, somebody's a different political affiliation from you, if somebody's gay, straight, whatever it is, just love them. And what we kind of mean by that is just tolerate them, just put up with them, which is a really low bar when it comes to the word love. Tolerance is a good thing, but it's a really low bar just to say, put up with each other. You don't see tolerance showing up in wedding vows. I promise to tolerate you for the rest of my life. Tolerance is a low bar. And so we might say, well, well, no, it's more than just tolerating. It's more than just putting up with them. To love other people means to actively accept them for who they are. Now here's the, that, that is a higher bar, but it's also impossible. And what I don't mean is just, it's really, really hard and we're not capable of it. What I mean is it's, it's actually factually impossible. You cannot accomplish this broadly with people by actively accepting them for exactly who they are. Um, let, let me give you an example. 
If somebody said, I make my living by selling drugs to kids. Now, I'm not, uh, I'm not saying most of us are thinking, well, I, I shouldn't actively accept that, but, but we're not even getting into the should right now. But, but let's say you say, all right, you know what? I'm going to love everybody. I should live by love. So I am going to actively accept you. I am going to actively affirm that is a good thing about you that you make your living selling drugs to kids. And then somebody else comes along and says, I make my living by taking down guys that sell drugs to kids, by arresting them and putting them in prison. You cannot actively accept both of those things because by actively accepting one, it's to the detriment of the other. It is not possible for us to actively accept everyone for exactly who they are or for their activities for exactly what they're doing because if we were to do that, we would run into conflicts all over the place. So so we got to just pause and say, maybe we're not as clear on what we're talking about when we're talking about love as we think we are. So that's number one. We make the faulty assumption that we know what love is. But number two is that we make the faulty assumption that we are capable of loving in these ways. That we say things like, what's the big deal? Just love one another. Why is this so hard? Can't we just love one another? And it may sound simple, but if you look at our world, apparently it's not that easy because we all seem to agree that we should live that way. And yet we see chaos and hardship in our world. When we see a police officer kneeling on the neck of George Floyd for almost nine minutes, we could pause and say, what happened to love? When we see rioting and looting and the destruction of property and violence against people in the streets, we could pause and say, what happened to love? I thought that's what we all agreed on. When we look even just at the ways that people are mistreating each other over the whole mask controversy and some people getting so upset over having to wear them and some people getting so upset with those who aren't willing to wear them, what, what happened to love? What happened to the fact that we were going to love one another? What happened to love when it comes to the rapid rate of divorce and when it comes to racism and insults and the way that we mistreat each other on social media? What happened to love? Apparently, it's not as easy as we thought it was. And we're not as capable of it as we thought we were. It's not even just a matter that we don't live up to God's standards on this. We don't even live up to our own standards on this. When it comes to the reality of love. We've got good news though. We've got good news from this passage in 1 John 4 that we're going to go through. And that good news is that God not only has poured out his love on us, but he is the one who can set us free, who can liberate us to be able to love one another in a consistent way. Specifically, we are liberated to love others only by the love of God. And so let's walk back through this passage now. First John chapter four, verses seven through 10. We'll, we'll move through, it kind of goes in three sections, verses seven and eight, verses nine and 10, and then verses 11 and 12 are all kind of couplets that go together. So the first thing that's talked about in verses seven through eight is the source of love. And what we're told in verses seven through eight is that the source of love is God. I can't be any more simple or straightforward on this. The source of love is God. Listen to what he says in verse seven. Dear friends, speaking to believers, let us love one another. So there's the command. 
It shows up not only in other parts of 1 John, it not only shows up throughout this specific passage that we're going through, but man, this is just the New Testament reality. If you read through the pages of the New Testament, we are constantly told that love and loving one another is right at the center of what Christians are called to do. You can go back to Jesus on this. Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40, when Jesus is asked, what is the greatest command? He replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then listen to what he says right after that. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. The apostle Paul reaffirms this in Romans chapter 13, verses eight through 10. He says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. And in case we're not clear on what he's saying, listen to what he says in verses nine and 10. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And this is not the only time Paul says this. Galatians 5.14, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Colossians 3.14, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Love is at the center. Hebrews, the author of Hebrews reaffirms this. Hebrews 13, one, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. James affirms this in James chapter two, verse eight. If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. Peter affirms this. First Peter chapter four, verse eight, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Love is not on the periphery. It's not just one of several things that Christians are called to do. Right at the center of our calling, right at the center of God's command to us is to love one another. And it's especially true that we practice this with other Christians and it certainly broadens out to all people as well. Love one another. And that's how he begins. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. A profound statement. God is the source of love. And then listen to what he says in the second part of verse seven. He says, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And then verse eight, whoever does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. Verses seven and eight, he, he makes two big picture statements about the connection between God and love. First of all, he says, love comes from God. And secondly, he says, God is love. And when he says God is love, he's not simply saying love is one of the many truths about how God behaves. What he's saying is there is never a time that God does something that is not driven by love. In the same way that God is spirit and he's never not spirit, in the same way that God is light and he's never darkness, God never stops being love. 
Um, Even though we sometimes get this wrong, sometimes we'll say, all right, well, well, God is love, but he also has wrath. God is love, but he also values justice. Um, That's a little bit like saying, if you're a parent, well, I need to love my kid, but I also need to discipline them. If you read the Bible, you know, that's not how God behaves towards us as a father. He disciplines us because he loves us. If you're a parent, if you discipline your kid, it's because you love them. God doesn't ever have a time that he sets aside love and says, all right, love is not what's called for in this situation. I got to use wrath or I got to use judgment or I got to use something else. God is always acting in love, which also means even his justice and his wrath involve or flow out of the fact that he is love because when he does those things, he's showing the value of human beings by showing that judgment and justice are necessary. God is love and God is the source of love. Not a source, he is the source to the point that John here is saying, you know, um, if you love, that means you're born of God. And if you don't love, that means you're not born of God. You're not a believer, which might give us pause because you could say, all right, is is he saying that it's not possible for a non-Christian to love? Because I know some non-Christians and and they do loving things. They they do love. Are are we really going to say that? And I don't think that that's the point that John is getting across. I don't think that he's saying it's impossible for somebody who's not a Christian to have loving acts towards others. And at the same time, I do believe very much what he's saying is that it is impossible to live a life driven by love, to live consistently in the self-giving love that we'll talk about in verses 9 and 10, unless God is your source. In the similar way that John, who wrote this, John in his gospel, in John chapter 15, quoted Jesus when Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. You can't bear fruit unless you're connected to the source unless you're connected to the vine. But maybe the agricultural analogy doesn't work for us as much, but but let's think about this in terms of something that probably all of us has, and that's that we all have a phone. And most of us have a smartphone. And man, you know what really makes us nervous? What really makes us nervous is when we realize that our battery is low and we're not sure when we're gonna recharge. And the news with a phone is that you can't just recharge it anywhere doing anything. I can't just decide I want this phone to recharge, so I'm going to set it down on the table and wait for something to happen. I can't just get a row of AA batteries and say I'm going to set my phone on top of it and that's just going to recharge it. There's specific ways. I need an outlet. I need a plug. I need a specific way to recharge that phone. I need one of these. I need to plug it in and then I need to plug it into a wall in order for it to recharge. I can't do this just any way. And in a similar way, we cannot simply decide we are going to just be loving people. I'm just going to muster up from inside of me. I'm just going to decide to begin to love other people. You will fail. You will be incapable of doing it. God is the source of love. This is a supernatural reality. Living a truly loving life is not something we can just decide to do. 
It's something that can only come from God and we can only do it to the extent that we're connected to God. So what we get right away in this passage is the profound reality, the source of love is God. But then when we get in verses nine and 10 is we get the demonstration of love. In some ways you might even say the definition of love. How is love shown? How is love put on display? And verse nine says, this is how God showed his love among us. Then verse 10 begins with, this is love. Verse nine and then verse 10 are two statements about the nature of love and how God has shown it to us. And to put it simply, if the source of love is God, the demonstration of love is sacrifice. Now let's look at what's said in these two statements. Verse nine, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is how God showed his love. He sent his one and only son. Some of your translations might say the only begotten son. Um, But the real sense of this word, the Greek word monogenes has to do with uniqueness. Um, One of the reasons we know it has to do with uniqueness is because it's a word that also shows up in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. It talks about how Abraham offered Isaac his one and only son. In some translations, his only begotten son. But Isaac wasn't the only begotten son of Abraham. You know why? Because Abraham also had Ishmael. There was another son that came from Abraham's body. So this word isn't so much talking about physical generation. It's talking about uniqueness. In a similar way, you might know the story in the book of Luke where there's a synagogue leader named Jairus and he asked Jesus to come and heal his daughter because his daughter is dying. And in it, the same word is used, come and heal my one and only, my monogenes child. This is showing closeness. And even in that passage, showing the tragedy of what would happen if you lost your one and only child, God gave his one and only son sacrificed by giving his one and only son. And he says that we might live through him. And verse 10 tells us what had to happen so that we would live as a result of him. Verse 10 says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Real love is not that we love God. It's that God loves us. I think the reason that John makes this point is that there is no way for us to love God sort of in a disinterested way. I remember reading a book one time that was suggesting that this is the way that we should love God, that that we should ask ourselves the question, would we still love God even if he was like an old man in a coma in a hospital and incapable of helping us in, in any way? And that would really determine whether or not we love God. And I think that is just utter foolishness. That that's an impossible hypothetical. That clearly is not what God is like. It's impossible for me to love God in a disinterested way because loving God benefits me deeply. Loving God brings me new life. Loving God brings me into the center of what my purpose for being created is. There is no way for me to love God in a disinterested way. 
I benefit from loving God. But the way that God loves us is just purely sacrificial. It makes sense that we would love God. It doesn't make quite as much sense that God would love us because what does he get from this deal? What he gets from this deal is that he is love and so he pours it out. You might make the parallel here like between a mother and a child. It makes sense that the baby loves the mother. The mother's feeding the baby, changing the baby, taking care of the baby, putting him to sleep, singing to the baby. It makes sense for the baby to love the mother. What's profound is that mother's love for the baby who is hijacking her life and making it much more difficult. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us. And how did he love us? He sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He sent Jesus to take on flesh and to be the blood guilt sacrifice for our sins, which by the way, tells us something very important about the nature of love and of God's love. Because we could look at it and say, well, if God is love, how do we end up with the reality of hell? Clearly that's not right. How do we end up with the reality of wrath? Clearly that's not possible. How, How do we end up with the reality that Jesus had to die for our sins? Clearly that doesn't make sense with God being love. But John puts them right next to each other. He says, oh no, Jesus had to die in our place as our substitute because God in his deep love takes sin so seriously that there had to be a death for it. But he loved us so much that he sent his son to take our place so that we could have life. Here's the the, the message to you. If if you're not a Christian and you're listening to this, here's the message to you about what John is saying. The message is not, there is a God out there who loves you so much, he would never do anything about your sin. The message is, there is a God who loves you so much that despite the fact that his justice would lead him to punish you forever, he sent his unique, his one and only son to take your place. It cost God something to pour out his love on you. The demonstration of love is sacrifice. Man, tolerance is such a low bar. Tolerance isn't love. Tolerance is fine. Love is when you sacrifice, when you give, because love always involves giving. We sacrifice when we give a listening ear to somebody else because it costs us maybe the freedom to talk all about ourselves or to do something else with our time. We show love when we give financially to people who are in need because it costs us something. It costs us the ability to spend that money on things that we might enjoy. We show sacrificial love. We show love when we give credit to somebody else for something that we could take credit for ourselves. We sacrifice, we lose some attention and affirmation from other people in order to give credit to someone else. We show love when we give time, when we give thought, when we give effort, when we put the interests and needs of others above our own. We show love when we sacrifice. Man, that's way higher than a simple toleration of other people. Biblical love is not that we put up with others. Biblical love is that we sacrifice for one another. The source of love is God. You can't love without being connected to him. And the demonstration of love is sacrifice. But finally, what we get at the end of this passage, what we get in verses 11 and 12, is the impact of love. 
And put simply, the impact of love is reproduction. The impact of love is that its ultimate completion is when it reproduces love in the one who was loved. So look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So he comes back to sort of the initial command. All right, we're we're coming back to the idea of loving one another. He says, we ought to do this. The the Greek word even has to do with the idea of we we owe this. This is the natural thing. This is what should happen because we are loved. But it's really important that we get this here. What John is going for here is not saying because God loved you, hey, you got to just do it. You have to figure out a way to do it. You got to grit your teeth. You got to pull up for it your best effort. You sort of owe an obligation. What he's saying much more is we have been changed from the inside out. The natural outflow of being deeply loved by God is that we love one another. What happens when God does this inside of our hearts as the source of love is that we love others. And he confirms this by what he says in verse 12. He says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. By, by the way, here's something really important. John talked about this in verse seven and eight. He's, he's referring to it again here right now. This is the mark of Christians. This is where Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. Love marks us as Christians. It's meant to be the identifier for the world. And for the past few decades, we've done this weird thing. Many of us as evangelical Christians where we've said, you know what? Don't look at us. Don't look at Christians. Just sort of ignore us and look at God. And that is not the biblical framework. That is certainly not what John is saying here. John's saying, you know what? Nobody's ever seen God. But if people want to see God, they should look at Christians because Christians are loving one another. We are not let off the hook on this one. Just don't look at me. And what John isn't saying is that we're perfect or we're flawless or we're sinless or we always do this perfectly. And and frankly, I don't think non-Christians are expecting that from us. I don't think they're just waiting for us to mess up in a small way and then to say, ah, you're a hypocrite. But I think what they are looking for is the kind of sacrificial love that would only be possible if we are deeply loved by God. This marks us, this identifies us. And also just think about what John says in the very last part of this verse. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. It's the completion of the cycle. You might say in some ways it's, it's come full circle. It's the idea that God has deeply loved us and that love reaches its fulfillment. It reaches its full effect when that love is reproduced in us and we share it with others. Maybe in a similar way to where, where you'd think about an, an apple tree. And an apple tree produces an apple and the apple comes down and you cut the apple up and inside the apple, what is there? There's seeds. It brings it full circle. You take that seed, you plant it down, you reproduce. Love, when it's reached its fulfillment in us, is not just that we're sitting back and saying, isn't it great to be loved by God? but it's really taken effect when we're sacrificially loving one another. The more that we experience that love from God, the more capable we are of loving others. 
the more bankrupt we are in the experience of God's love, the harder we're gonna find it to love others. And, and I'll give an illustration. It's, it's one, if, if you've been around for a while, you may have heard me use it before, but I still think it's a good one and I still haven't thought of a better one. So I'm gonna go ahead and give it. And it was my senior year of high school. And uh, I, was, I was trying out for this part in one of the school plays. Um, and actually it was, it was coming down to just me and my friend Scott were the only ones that were trying out for this part. We were the last two. One of us was gonna get the part, one of us wasn't. And Scott was a very good friend of mine. We'd played water polo together. Um, we, we'd hung out together a lot. So we were good friends going toe to toe to try to get this part in the play. And we were both supposed to come and, and memorize a monologue that we chose and then say it for the casting crew. And then they were gonna choose one of us. And I went first and I felt really good about what I did. I, I put myself out there. I chose something that even had some emotion. There was even a part that I sang a little bit and I'm a bad singer, but I, but I sort of, I, I really, I put it all out there, had it memorized, did a pretty good job with it. Um, and then it was Scott's turn. And let me just tell you my internal monologue while I watched Scott give his monologue. Um, what was going on inside my head was, uh, he just missed the line there. Uh, like Scott messed up. And what is he trying to do there? Is that a Southern accent? That's a little weird. I, I don't know quite what's going on. You know what? If they give the part to Scott, that, that would be wrong. I should get this part. I did better. I memorized my whole thing. I, I put myself out there. They shouldn't give the part to him. I should definitely get the part. There's even a part of me that was like, oh good, he, he messed up again. That, that puts him a little lower. That means I'm more likely to get it. That's what was going on inside my head while I watched my good friend Scott audition. And the, the casting people kind of took a minute and they all talked to each other and they came back and they said, okay, Dan, you get the part. And as soon as they said, Dan, you get the part, do you want to know what my very first thought was? My very first thought was, poor Scott. And I'll tell you in that moment, there is nothing I wouldn't have done to try to make Scott feel better. And my, my heart just went out to him. I mean, I, I would have taken him out for a bite to eat. I would, I would have done anything to make my friend feel better in that moment. And the reason is not because I was some great noble guy. The reason is actually kind of mercenary. The reason right in that moment, all I was thinking of was my friend and his well-being, is because I now safely had the part. Scott was no longer a threat. Uh, I knew I was safe and secure and that meant I could turn outward and show love to somebody else. And man, let me tell you, we have been loved by God. That means nobody else is a true threat to us and we are radically set free to pour out love for them. Man, I can give you a listening ear, even if it's going to cost me a lot of time and a lot of effort. And the reason that I can do that is because you are no threat to me because I have the ear of God anytime I want it. I can give financially to you and I can sacrifice, even if it's going to mean that I'm going to miss out on some things that I like. I can give that to you because me giving away that money to you isn't a threat at all because I know I will be rewarded by the good God of the universe, whether it's in this life or the life to come. I can give my time to you. I can give effort to you. I can give thought and affection. I can give credit to you, even if it means I never get credit. I can do all those things because you are not a threat to me. Nobody is a threat to me. I have eternal life. I can even risk my life for you. 
because nobody can truly take from me what God has given to me. So even if I lose my life, as the apostle Paul said, to me it's gain because I know where my eternity lies. We are radically set free by the love of God to love one another. He is our source. He demonstrated what love is through sending Jesus. And then he impacts us by his love by making it reproduce in us. You know, I I just want to say something about this season of time we've been in with the pandemic. Um, There was a sense when this started and and we all were heading home and cases started breaking out that that this sense of, hey, we're, we're all in this together, you know, rich or poor, famous or anonymous, you know, black, white, whatever it is, we're all in this together. Even if we're Republicans or Democrats, we're all in this together. And it seemed like there was this unique opportunity where where we were all unified by the fact that we were all vulnerable to this disease. And there was an opportunity for us to all come together in this. And I'm not going to say that there aren't beautiful things that have been done during this time because there are. But I don't think anybody would look back at this time and say, you know what this time was marked by? Radical unity and love we pretty quickly went back into our political corners and started duking it out. How powerful if what would come of this time is that the people who are the most self-giving, the people who are the most loving, the, the people who are the most willing to show love and care, even to people who disagree with them on masks or the government or, or protests or things like that, were Christians who are radically set free by the love of God, not to have to protect their own territory, but to pour that love out towards others. And what I wanna say is it's not too late. It's not too late for God to radically demonstrate his love in us as we set aside our sometimes petty preferences and say, I'm more interested in pouring out the love that God has poured out to me, to you even if you're a political opponent, even if you disagree with me on masks, even if we disagree on a wealth of issues, I want to pour out my love to you. I want to give you that listening ear. I want to give financially. I want to give my time. I want to give credit. I want to give affection. I want to show you that I care about you deeply. We are set free to love. And the opportunity is always still there for us to show the love of God to the world around us. But let me just also give the reminder that We can only do this to the extent that we are being loved by God. Now, God's love doesn't change day to day, but our experience of it does. And so my my prayer this week, as we pour into this, you know, we spent a week praying about freedom from fear. We spent a week praying about freedom from pride. We're going to spend a week praying and fasting that we would so experience, so know at the core of our being, how deeply we are loved by God, that we would no longer feel like we need to be self-protective and love would be poured out to those around us. So I pray that this week, as you pursue living in greater freedom, what you experience is the radical love of God. You experience resting in him. You experience the joy of knowing that you truly are forgiven of everything. That your sins, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far they've been taken away from you. That you can know the love of God and promising you eternal life. That death doesn't get the final word. That we can live in the beautiful and radical reality that we are loved by God and that liberates us 
to love others. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much that you have loved us deeply. Thank you so much that you've poured out your love in Jesus. And Father, I pray that you set us free from selfishness and self-protectiveness, that you set us free from opposition to one another, that you set us free from mistreating one another because all of that is slavery. Father, set us free by your love to bring that love to completion in loving one another. We pray this in the name of our great Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And amen and God bless you this week.